right. Well, good morning to everyone. It's great to be in worship together, whether you're here in the West Auditorium or you're worshiping with us in the, in the East Auditorium or online. I'm looking forward to getting into God's Word with you this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Uh, 1 Peter is towards the end of the New Testament. So as you're turning there, I'd like to be able to share with you an experience that I, I feel like is, is pretty common. It's this. We get to January and we say, all right, this is the year. This is the year that I'm going to get healthy. This is the year that I'm going to get back in the gym. I'm going to get after it. I paid my $1 down at Planet Fitness, so I'm committed now. I'm locked in. And so uh, I'm going to do this. So we set the alarm. We, we get things ready and we go after it. Well, I recently had the chance uh, to get back in the gym. I need to take you back to uh, the beginning of November. So November and December were, were pretty, pretty uh, busy months for my family and I. Starting uh, November 1st, uh, I began a doctoral program at a school in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, this doctoral program um, is in global missions. So I, I just want to say thank you all for, uh, for your support and, and being willing to let me uh, be away off and on to study. I, I believe that this program is going to really help me uh, to be able to serve the work of First Christian Church both here in our community and around the world. And so I'm super excited about that. And that is a commitment, not just of myself, but of our entire family. I mean, we're, we're all in on this. Um, a couple days after I started that program, we learned that we were gonna have two foster children join our family. Weren't planning on that, but uh, the opportunity was there and, and uh, we prayed about it and God said yes. So uh, we had these two beautiful six-year-olds that joined our family. And uh, that took us from four kids to six kids which effectively ruined any, any amount of stability or sanity that we had in our house. It was crazy. Four six-year-olds running around, tons of loose teeth and, and uh, ABCs and sight words and all that. So it was a little crazy. It was totally worth it. And uh, we're, we're so excited uh, at, at those opportunities that we have. So add on to that in... Uh, in December, uh, I took about 10 days to go on a, on a trip to Africa, you know, so just decided to throw that in there as well. And then you've got all of the busyness of the holidays and Christmas. So needless to say, for me, um, any efforts or time or energy or sanity to exercise got pushed to the side. I got pushed over here. Um, I like to lift weights. I know you can't tell, but I, I enjoy exercising. And so, uh, so that totally got pushed to the side uh, along with sleep. And so, uh, so in November and December, um, I, I wasn't able to do that. Well, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was on campus in Kentucky uh, for a class. And so I, I arrived on campus and, uh, you know, I was looking at the campus map and the first thing I saw was fitness center. And I thought, fitness center, I haven't seen that for a while. And so I was like, hey, this is the week to do this. I mean, I don't have any kids. I don't have any responsibilities. Uh, all, all I'm doing is sitting in class for a couple hours, six or seven a day. And uh, I thought, man, it'll be nice as soon as class is over to, uh, to hit the gym. And so that's what I did. I made a plan every day after class. Man, I hit the gym and, and the gym was really, really nice. There were like aerobics and, and running track and all that kind of stuff. But I, I basically lived in, in the weight room while I was there. And it was so good to do all these exercises, all these things that I hadn't done for a long time. And I, I kind of nerded out a little bit and I mapped out what I was going to do each day, what muscle group and all that. I see a couple of people shaking their heads. Um, and so I, was, I, I had a plan that the, that the uh, second to last day, uh, the last evening I was going to be there, I was going to do squats. Now, I hadn't done any squats for about a year. 
So I got in there and I thought, man, this is good. I'm full of cafeteria food. I'm ready to do this. And so uh, I, I, I stretched out. Um, I did some warm-ups, and then I just threw the weights on there and I went after it. Well, the next day, <laughs> the next day, as soon as class was over, I got in my car and I rushed home. I was trying to beat that ice storm home. And so uh, I drove north for, for probably uh, two and a half or three hours and uh, got this side of Indianapolis. I, I needed to get some more gas in the car. So I pulled into the gas station and um, as I opened the door, I realized two things. The first was that the temperature had dropped drastically from when I left Kentucky. It was much colder. The second thing I realized was my coat is still in the trunk. So I thought, that's right. I'll just jump out and run into the gas station. Nope. <laughs> this was me running into the gas station. I, was, I look like a penguin, all right? And the whole time I'm going, I'm saying, it was worth it. No pain, no gain. It was worth it. I'm glad I did those squats. I'm sure there's security camera footage somewhere that people have saved and they're laughing at. It's probably gone viral by now. But, you know, exercise experts... Uh, say that muscle confusion is when you change your exercise routine, or in my case, when you go from absolutely nothing to going all out. And it often results in discomfort, it results in, in pain and soreness and, and fatigue. Your muscles are confused, it's, it's muscle confusion. Your muscles are saying, why are you doing this to us? And yet we push through and we do it because we know that it's worth it. It's worth it because it, it causes growth, it, it causes strength, it causes health. And so I want to apply the same principle today to the way that we engage in God's mission. Our involvement in the work of God requires discomfort. It, it requires uh, struggle and sacrifice. There are times when, when we have to do things that are very difficult. There are times when we have to do things that are, that are not popular, and yet it's worth it. It's worth it in the end because it glorifies God and it results in the changing of people's lives. And so this is gonna be our focus today. So this month we've been talking about the Great Commission. We've been looking at uh, Jesus' final words to his disciples. Jesus had already died on the cross. He'd already been resurrected to new life. And now, now Jesus is standing here and he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. And we looked last week at how uh, this, this word nations means all peoples, all, all people groups. Don't leave anyone out. Go to every single person you can. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he gives us this promise. He says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And so as we see, we... God has given us everything that we need for his mission. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And so this is the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. It's not optional. There's, there's not a spot on the sidelines. All of us are called to go and make disciples, to be a part of God's mission here on earth. And so God has given us all, as we will see today, a place to go. We can go right to the people around us, right here in this community, and make disciples. And so let's jump into uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, 
Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And so right off the bat, Peter addresses his audience as exiles. In in the original Greek, the word is periependemos, which means resident aliens. It's those who are citizens of one country, and yet for the time being, they are full-time, they're citizens of one country, but for the the time being, they're full-time residents of another. You know, Pastor Timothy Keller uh, describes these exiles as those who are living as neither natives nor as tourists. And so while they're living here, yes, this is, this is not their home. This is not the place that they've come from, nor the place that they're going, but they're also not just here temporarily. They're not on vacation. They're here for a purpose. Because in this place, this is, this is where they are for the time being, but their culture, their, their perspective, their, their loyalty is, is elsewhere. And it's the same for us as Christians today. We live in this broken world. We live in in the midst of of the mess of this broken world, knowing that God has created us for his eternal kingdom. Colossians 3 tells us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. But at the same time, we're here for a purpose. We're here for a purpose. We're not just here to to huddle up and, and okay, we're gonna circle up here. We're gonna just watch each other's backs and, and try not to venture out. We're gonna stay here. We're gonna shields up. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna stay strong until it's time to see Jesus. That is not our purpose. We are here for a reason. Our presence has purpose. We have a heavenly perspective, but we have an earthly proximity. We are here in order to give glory to God and to point people to him. Because of the nature of our presence here, we can show people and we can share with people the perspective that we have, our eternal perspective. You know, Peter continues, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I wanna pause here, what does this mean? What, is, what does this mean, new birth into a living hope? Well, our living hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It points to the fact that in Jesus' death and resurrection that we also have hope. Imagine, imagine with me a, a brick wall and person after person has run up against this brick wall and no one has been able to break through. But then you have God's perfect son, Jesus Christ, who comes, he lives a perfect life, and then he dies a perfect death. He, t- he took on the sins and the, the, the wages of our sin. He died for us. Jesus did not deserve to die. But Jesus died in order to, to, to beat sin, in order, in order to pay for sin. But as we know, Jesus did not remain dead. Days later, Jesus was resurrected to new life. And so Jesus, being the first person in history, busted through that wall of death. And therefore, we as his followers will follow him. Scripture tells us that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection, which means as Jesus broke through death and was raised to new life, eternal life, perfect life, we also as his followers, we are following him right through that gaping hole in death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 
Jesus Christ has conquered you. And so this is the good news that we have. This is the, the heavenly perspective that we have. Peter goes on and he says that this inheritance can never perish, never spoil or fade. It is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We have this great inheritance and nothing can take it away from us. Nothing can take away this, this amazing inheritance that we have. Now, there will definitely be suffering. There will definitely be times of trial. In fact, Peter, Peter mentions later in his letter that because we as Christians are followers of Jesus, that we will suffer to an even greater degree because we're putting ourselves out there, because we're engaging with the world around us. There's a bullseye on our back. And yet, he says that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, we can always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Because of our, because of our proximity, and our heavenly perspective, we can point people to Jesus. We can say, man, in the midst of my suffering, let me tell you about Jesus who suffered for me. In the midst of my trials, let me tell you about the eternal reward that is ahead. And so we have victory, we have life, we have eternity ahead of us. And so in this way, we don't, we don't just survive the mess of the world, we can enter into the mess with the good news of what Jesus has done. You know, one of the things that we like to say around here is that we run towards the mess. And, and if I'm honest, friends, I don't naturally run towards the mess. If the mess is over here, I'm gonna stay over here where it's nice and clean and, and everything is orderly. And yet, because of our perspective, we can run towards the mess. We can, we can enter into the challenges and the hardships and the mess of people's lives and the world around us because we do so in God's strength given for God's mission. And part of God's mission is standing for the value of life that he has given. You know, this month especially, we reflect on the sanctity of life as we consider the issue of abortion. I was doing some study and, and I, I learned that since 1970, here in the US, for every 10 babies that was born, two were aborted. I go to my daughter's first grade class over here at Parsons. There are four children missing from that classroom. Where's the church in the midst of all this? We stand for the sanctity of life. We stand in saying alongside God that every life is valuable and every child should be born. But remember, we uphold the sanctity of life at every stage. It can't stop at birth. We have, to, we have to continue to affirm the value of people's lives years after. We have to be willing to, to take sacrificial and the, the sacrificial and challenging steps of, of compassion, whether it's caring for a mother who's expecting or, or maybe it's coming alongside a, a, a young man who will soon be a father. Maybe it's saying this, maybe it's saying we believe in the sanctity of life and so we're gonna open up our family for children who need a, who need a family whether it's through foster care or adoption. Did you know that there are more than 3,000 children in the state of Illinois right now who are waiting in the foster care system to be adopted? These children are just waiting. If they aren't adopted, they, they age out and at age 18, they're on their own. Where's the church after birth? 
We have to be willing to, to engage in, in, in saying, you know what, there, there is value to every life. Or, or maybe it looks like this, you know, here in a couple of weeks, we're gonna have night to shine. That is an amazing opportunity for us to ascribe value and worth to every single person in our community. People that, that sometimes have been written off by others as, as saying that they're less valuable. We as Christians stand with God and saying every single person is valuable. Every life has value. You know, God has, has opened up amazing doors for us as a church uh, to come alongside people in, in a unique way. And in 2014, um, Decatur Memorial Hospital um, asked us if we would be interested in providing chaplains there at the hospital. Chaplains basically who come alongside and, and, and they, they visit with patients who are interested in, in having chaplain meet with them, they pray with them, uh, you know, they, they uh, can provide scripture. Um, in the same way, those chaplains are able to come alongside the staff and, 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 and everyone there at the hospital. And so in 2014, uh, we stepped into uncharted waters and we began to provide chaplaincy at DMH. And then a couple years later, Crossing Healthcare, they invited us, they said, hey, we've heard what's going on over at DMH, would you be willing to provide chaplaincy at, on our campus as well? And so uh, since then, we, we have grown as Crossing Healthcare has grown to provide chaplaincy and, and care for, um, for the patients there. FCC's chaplains are right in the trenches, walking alongside people and pointing to God. I wanna show you a photo real quick of, of the chaplains. So this is our chaplaincy team. Uh, several of them are, are volunteers, but many of them are on staff. They are serving on your behalf as chaplains at Crossing, um, at DMH, even through Crossing's connection at the Macon County Jail. We have a chaplain who's there every week providing care, pointing people to God. Also joining us today is, uh, is Don Dotson. And uh, Don is a, a recent um, addition to the FCC staff team. Um, he is our newest chaplain at Crossing. He's providing care and counseling for the patients there, including uh, the brand new inpatient and outpatient recovery centers. You may be aware that Crossing is, is in the process of, of getting a, a, an opioid clinic up and going. We have opportunities to come alongside people in very difficult situations and point to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so Don's with us this morning. Let's welcome him to the stage. So Don, tell us, what is at the heart of chaplaincy for you? At the heart of uh, chaplaincy, but first uh, let me give thanks and appreciation to First Christian Church for allowing uh, me as a chaplain and all other chaplains that represent God and that we're strategically placed in different areas, Decatur Memorial, Crossing Healthcare. We are allowed to do what I'm trained to do as a chaplain. So my heart is where that I'm able to provide and help the patient to make meaning of their experiences or different crises that they're going through. Amen. And as a chaplain, I'm also there to help them connect to what is holy. Amen. Yeah. So First Christian Church, as my own Christian faith, I'm allowed to be able to do that. So tell us, how, how do the uh, patients and the staff at Crossing, how do they receive, you know, having a chaplain there available to come into the, to the exam room or to meet with, you know, meet with the staff after, after certain situations? It's amazing how 
that the patients that I've met were, they express the uh, gratitude. I've heard so many times where they say, thank you for coming to see about us. Thank you. And so that's part of our community. They, they may at times feel isolated, but as chaplains, we're blessed and we don't take it lightly because they're going through extreme challenges, as you mentioned. So I don't take it lightly or for granted that they're allowing us as chaplains to be in their safe space. Absolutely. So how do you, how do you see God working specifically at Crossing? How is he opening up doors for, for the chaplaincy ministry there? Well, first of all, God has blessed First Christian Church to be able to provide chaplains there. And I see more so uh, the effect that's happening. And the thing is, is that uh, with, with uh, First Christian Church being that light here in Decatur, well, then we're able to be able to just provide the spiritual care that's needed. Medical treatment they receive, but they are looking for spiritual care. And that's the opportunity that we've been given. So thank you. Awesome. Please help me in thanking Don. So really at the core of chaplaincy, at the core of that ministry is this. It's walking alongside people and pointing to God. And so I began to think, what, what would our community look like? What if, what if in every business, every office, every company here in our city, what if there was a chaplain? What if, what if there was someone that all the employees knew that, man, I can go to that person, I can, I can talk with them. If, you know, if I'm experiencing uh, a recent loss or, or something, I, can, I know that that person's gonna come alongside me and, and help me. Or what if, what if every school or even every classroom from elementary school all the way up through our, our, our university and our, our college here, what if there was a chaplain in every classroom? What if, what if there was a chaplain so that the students would know, man, if, if I'm struggling, if, if I have something that's really weighing me down, I can go and I can talk to that chaplain. I can, I can share with them. I know that they're gonna pray with me. They're gonna come alongside me. What if every neighborhood had a chaplain? What if every block, on every block, there was a house and in front of that house, there was a little sign that said chaplain and the residents, the neighbors knew, man, we can go to that house day or night. We can, we can knock on that door and I know that the person on the other side of that door is gonna be welcoming, they're gonna be kind and man, when the burdens of life have got me down, I know that I can go and I can talk with them and they're gonna pray with me. They're gonna come alongside me. What if every family had a chaplain? That one person in the family that people knew, no matter what's going on, I can go to that person. Well, the truth is, chaplaincy is not reserved for people on staff. All of us as Christians are chaplains. All of us are called to run towards the mess, to come alongside people and to point to God. We are all of those chaplains. We are chaplains in the places that we work, in the places that we go to school. We are chaplains in, in, in our neighborhoods. We are, as, as we like to say, the tangible touch of Jesus Christ in the lives of everyone around us. You know, as, as, as a part of the community missions uh, program that we have here at the church, we have a number of cool partnerships. We have a great partnership with Parsons Elementary. We love Parsons. Um, because of our partnership there, we have an after-school program called Club 305. Students come here a couple days a week. 
We are very invested in a specific neighborhood here in the city called The Block. Um, we have partnerships with New Life Pregnancy Center and, and Good Samaritan Inn. And, and these are all great programs. These are all great ministries and, and they're great opportunities for, for people to step, step in and, and get engaged through volunteering. But the most powerful thing that we can do as a church is for each of us, each of us to make the mission personal. Outside the bounds of ministry programs, each of us can walk alongside people and point them to God. I mean, when, when we have a couple kids, two or three kids join Club 305, that's great. We're, we're, we're adding kids and, 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 and that's good. But when we each take the message, when we each take the mission to go and make disciples of the people around us, that's multiplication. Think about it. What if every one of us in this room found one person to come alongside, one person to pray for, one person to, to point to God? And then we did that again. And those people did that again. Within just a couple years, we would not have enough space in the church buildings of this city for all the people who would be walking with Christ. God has given us this mission. And so I wanna give you some encouragement. I wanna give you some encouragement to, to reach out. First of all, you can make disciples, you can be on mission as you go. I think sometimes there's this, this misperception that, that in order to be on mission, we have to call time out on life as usual and you know, go to Cincinnati or, or get on a plane and go to Cuba or Kenya. That, that, we, that we have to go on a mission trip. But the truth is, our entire life is a mission trip. In fact, when Jesus said, go and make disciples, he was saying, as you go in life, make disciples. As you go to work, make disciples. As you go to school, as you mow your yard, as you, as you spend time in your neighborhood, as you spend time with your family, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. You don't have to go out of your way. God has given us purpose to our proximity. Also, and this is really encouraging to me, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be smooth or, or cool or, or photogenic in order to make disciples. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that we had uh, two, two uh, kids that, that came to live with us. And so uh, we only had a couple days notice. And so Mary and I were scrambling around trying to, trying to get you know, bedrooms ready and, and things kind of moved around and then we got a couple bunk beds. So I was putting bunk beds together. My friend Brandon uh, came and, and he came over on that Saturday, uh, T minus like four hours before the kids were gonna show up. So we're putting these bunk beds together. We're right in the midst of putting one of those beds together. Um, and I, I noticed, I kind of saw the corner of my eye, a mother and a daughter walking on the sidewalk uh, up the street. And I was thinking, hey, that's Leah. I haven't seen Leah for a couple months. And so I was like, sorry, Brandon. I dropped my side of the bed and I run over to the window and I'm kind of Steve Urkel trying to open it up. And I'm struggling with the, the lock that we use to try and keep Dominic in the house. And, you know, so just going through that, I, I messing with the shade, I finally get the door open. And then I'm hanging myself at the window saying, hey, Leah, hey, how's it going up here? And Leah and her mom are walking and they're like, we hear BJ's voice, but what, whoa. I mean, here I am, this white gangly guy hanging out the window, waving at them. I was like, hey, you should kind of try to come on Wednesday if you can. See ya. And I, I kind of get myself back in the window and I look at Brandon and I said, 
You know, I've always thought about writing a book called Awkward for Jesus. <laughs> because so many times, that's what I feel. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to be smooth. You have to be obedient. You have to be obedient to the commission that God has given you. I think sometimes we're, we're so worried about image management. We're so worried about what, what people will think of us. We're, we're so worried about looking good or, or being highly thought of. We're, we're so worried about putting that perfect profile picture so that we'll look good to the world around us. But the truth is we don't have to look good in order to make Jesus look good. Jesus as the perfect son of God is already attractive and powerful and authoritative enough to stand on his own. We don't need to hold Jesus up. In fact, it is in the reality of our, of our true brokenness. It's, it's in the reality of our, of our imperfection. You could say our realness that Christ is glorified. Because when we are imperfect, we point to Jesus's perfection. Where we are broken, where, where we are a mess, Jesus brings wholeness and healing. Where we are insufficient, Jesus is sufficient. And that's good news for us. Let me give you some more good news. God is at work. It's not all up to us. God is at work. And, and there's something freeing about knowing that. There's something freeing about knowing that, that the kingdom of God is not contingent on my abilities or, or my strengths or, or, or my intellect. God is at work. When we join God's mission, we are coming alongside him and making disciples. We are joining in the work, the very real presence of his spirit. And so we just have to be obedient. We have to be obedient with, with what God has called us to. And finally, let me encourage you. Make home your mission field. There is a purpose to our presence. Be a missionary in the places God has put you. Be a missionary in the places God has put you. Well, as we reflected uh, this past week on the life and ministry of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I can't help but recognize the way that he lived fully in this reality of his, of, of his current situation and yet he was able to keep a heavenly perspective. I mean, Dr. King faced so many obstacles, so many challenges, challenges that many of us will never even be able to experience or imagine because of the color of our skin. And yet, and yet, he was able to keep a, a heavenly perspective. He gave himself fully to God's mission of reconciling people and pointing to God. And I'm, I'm reminded of, of the final speech that he gave in Memphis just before he was killed. It's titled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. 
Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Or as Peter said it, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through Jesus Christ. We can give ourselves completely to the mission of reaching those around us. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, we'll have to, we'll have to make sacrifices. There will be challenges. There will be times when our muscles hurt and we feel tired. But in the end, it's all worth it. So I want you to take a moment now to think about and pray for one person you know who's not walking with Christ. I'm sure it doesn't take long. That name, that face, that, that story comes to mind. So I'm gonna give you a, a couple moments to pray for them and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna close in prayer for us. Lord, you have placed us in the lives of people who do not know you. Hear our prayers for them now. God, we are so undeserving. Lord, we are so undeserving of your love, of the fact that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die in our place so that we could have life. He paid for our sins. He conquered death. Lord, we have this, this eternal perspective, but you've placed us here for just a little bit longer so that we might point people to you. So God, for the, for, the, for the names, the faces, the stories that have come to mind this morning, as we've prayed, Lord, we continue to pray that these people would come to know you in a real and saving way. Lord, we pray that, that this year in 2020, God, that there would be, there would be transformed lives, that people would, would come to know you, that, that you would set fire to their hearts. Lord, we know that there's, there's obstacles. God, give us the strength, give us the courage, to join with your spirit. Lord, take away our inadequacies and do great things in and through us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.